Hi, I'm Judy Carter, and this is the Power of Purpose podcast, where we explore how to live a purposeful life and how creative people like yourself can make a living doing what you love. And my guest, Vicki Barbalak, has done all of that. Hey, Vicki, so great to have you on the Power of Purpose podcast. Judy, do you go by pop, as in power of purpose all the time? Pop? Pop? Pop. That's a good pop. idea. I didn't, pop. I didn't even know that. Pop. I am, I'm, okay. I'm trying. Like, I feel like popping in to pop. Pop. Power of purpose. Because well, I really can't say the power of purpose more than pop, power of purpose. I know. And I have to tell you, do you know what really gave me pop was what? driving into Vegas and seeing your friggin' name on a billboard. So I'm going from the airport and you know how you have all those signs yeah. of like, you know, what to see the friggin' guy with the puppets. There's another P and, and there I go. Holy shit. There is Vicki Barbalak who took my class. That's right. Billboard. You remember that billboard? Yeah. Remember when yeah. we used to have live performances, by the way, people, this is, this is during the uh, pandemic, right? If it'll ever be over. Um, yeah. But but uh, that is awesome, and I I loved watching you on America's Got Talent, where you are the top ten finalists, right? Yeah. And what I loved about you and what you did, and this is what I want to share, because a lot of my listeners are going, I'm too old to be successful. I'm too, I'm not thin enough to be successful. And there you are, you know, what are you like in, in your late fifties, I guess. I'm, I'm 62. All right. There you are in a bathing suit. And I went this girl by being exactly who she is. And I hate to use this word leaning in. Yeah to, you know, who she is, you know, in spite of what people say you're supposed to be, was your ticket to success. So tell me, people want to know your journey to that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, I think you, you're, you know, I, I started stand up when I was 40, like 39, 39, 40. I think I was 40 years old when I went out to Big Bear and did your weekend. And at that time, that was a really important time for me because I met some good friends that would be LA comedians. It would be, still be my friends from meeting them that, that weekend. And you were really encouraging of me uh, at, that, at your class and, and going on to that, which meant a lot to me because nobody... And when I, I took Sandy Shore's class first here at La Jolla, and then... Um, you know, I, but I, I walked into her class with three big books so people would think I was smart, literally. <laughs> so I didn't have to carry the books by the time I made your class like two months later. But, you know, I mean, I'm glad I went in as like a student because I wouldn't have known even what an open mic was or anything. I knew nothing about stand-up when I started. And if, and if I would have known what a stupid idea it was to start when I was 40, as a woman who was fat and you know at 40 i wouldn't maybe have done it because at that time there was so much opposition to that but i i think um in the other side of my brain i would have done it because it really never had anything to do with 
becoming famous. It just had something to do with, I really love this. I love doing it like I love nothing else and I wanted to get good. So that was all I cared about. But I think if I had been more success oriented, I would have got out because I would have realized this is just not- This is against all odds. Why bother, right? Hey, exactly. is there a, a TV going on in your trailer? Cause I hear- It's worse something. than that. It's construction. Oh, is that hey, what it is? Lou, Lou, yeah. would you turn off the radio? Maybe that. And you guys, if possible, I know we, you're doing construction, but I'm doing a podcast. So I, I love that because so many people will talk themselves out of it. They'll procrastinate their whole life because people say, oh, you're so funny. You should be a comedian. They talk themselves out of it. And then they have, when they get to the place where they're ready, they feel they're too old. And yeah, uh, exactly. And you know, none of that, it's just a fear, fear can, fear can show itself to you as a block of anything. And I feel like if you, it's, it's just, if you're afraid of doing something, I think fear shows up as walls and blocks and excuses. And it's really a lot to do with fear, I think. And so if you just let, I, I had to come to a point where I understood how much fear I was up against. And then I knew it would never leave me, but I kind of hide it in a backpack behind me. It's and, all right. No worries. And we're, so, co we're comedians. Shit yeah. happens. Right okay. On. Right. No, and I never do construction. And so it is like, um, I feel like you, you, even now, I mean, even now when I want to ask for something, I want to ask my agents to do something for me. I think, well, they probably won't do it for me because they think that I'm not, that I'm not, they're not going to do this for me They're because it's, I'm not right for this. And I'll, I'll put up a block even for me asking for help with my own agents. And that still comes up and I have to breathe and knock that away all the time. So even though. So let's I've just go through that. Cause a lot of people have that. A lot of people are going like, because when you, when you do this, when you're a comic and when you're a woman, especially, you have to ask people, you have to, can you introduce me? Can you watch my video? Can you, could you please, but, you know, and, and I think that's really hard to do. So how did you get past that fear to make those calls? It was one very specific thing yesterday. And I just decided that I couldn't answer my, I couldn't say no first. I was making myself say no first. I'm gonna make them say no. And I just decided I'm gonna say no first and not ask, which is like saying no, or I'm gonna ask and let them say no. Worst case is they say no. Worse even than that, I say no. So I just kind of told myself, it's a no if I don't ask for sure. So even though I think they're not going to do this, I'm going to ask. And then I did. It was actually on Friday and today okay. is Monday. So this is what I, it was, but it was like, you know, it was just like a leap and it was a, a leap that I had to make, even though I felt vulnerable by asking because then I'll, then I went, I felt because I asked and if they said no, then it would validate the fact that I didn't think I was worth getting this. So well, I just it's that right there. So yeah. I guess what we're really, the fear is about is 
um, they, you, you worry that they'll say no, and that would then validate feelings you already have about yourself. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Even, even though I know that what I'm asking for, I can do, and I am giving them a product to look at that I know is very good. And the only reason I know it's a really good set is because the audience told me it was a really good set. It was one of those sets that, you know, I've just also, I've been doing this for so long now and I know the level that I'm at on one, you know, on a, on a realistic level, I know where I am, but still in the back of my head, I always have that person going, no, you're not, you're not that good, stand down. So I'm constantly battling that even though I think it's not there anymore. But when I go in a situation like this, where I'm gonna to go to somebody really powerful and ask for something, then it all comes back. And so I'm, I, I'm just saying that the struggle is there for me and it might be there for a lot of people. You just think you put it to bed, but it's almost like if you have parents that, you know, are not, that are, that are like always trying to hurt you and you'll think, oh, I'm stealing myself to not getting hurt. And that you could, they still can hurt you again. I think that kind of thing is, is about that with our belief in our work and in ourselves and in our art. Yes. And, you know, I, this will help a lot of people because you've achieved a level of success um, that a lot of people dream about. And a lot of people have this notion of uh, making it, right? This whole thing of making it. And so you're telling me now that even though at your level, what you've, you've had enormous amount of television exposure and engagements, is making it bullshit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, that experience you know i always had one goal and it was what's from that book steve martin wrote his autobiography it was this one goal you get so good that people can't ignore you so that was my only goal and then for a while i thought well maybe stephen martin was wrong because i really felt like i had gotten that good but still breaking through and also again if I knocked on just a couple of doors and they said no, I went, oh, you know, you guys are right. Back to home. Keep keep doing stand-up, but don't don't bother with LA. And for me, when America's Got Talent hit, and that took you on a circle around the industry, it took you to the American public. And then that was such a huge break for me because they believed in me. And then LA had to come around, the industry had to come around. So, but for me, making it was just that point where you really feel like you are like a master level bricklayer. If comedy was laying brick and then I could become a master in the union and I could be allowed to do the twisty tops of the brick fireplaces, that's where I wanted to get. And that's where, you know, I, when Mitzi made me a regular and, and she would put me in the main room, I felt like I was really close, but I still didn't feel like I was, my work was ready. And I think that when I, the last five years when I've really become able to be comfortable with an hour, for me, that's been the making it part. It's never been about, even if America's Got Talent wouldn't have happened, I was worried about getting to keep working. Would I get any more bookings at my age? Would anything break? I, I just kept hoping for a break like this and then it came. And I, I, I did keep kind of faithful in it, but I wasn't at all sure anything was gonna break for me. So what it always 
what did you do for your nerves? Because there you are and you're going through the, you know, through the, all the steps and eliminations, and then you have to do another set and then another set and another set. Um, how, is there any tips that you have when you get these breaks on, on dealing with your fear level? I did some pretty drastic stuff. I worked with Georgia Jean. She has a, a, a it's called Circle Evolution. And she's like, um, literally deals with like beings outside the planet. I know that sounds crazy, but I've worked with her before. And she was an old friend of mine, used to be a comic. She lives in Hawaii now. So literally she worked with me on channeling into real positive energy of the universe, which sound, you know, just like you can read in a million self-help books. But she I was able to really work with her at a place where I really felt like I come from a very, a very long line of Eastern European failures. People, <laughs> people who will hold you down from the grave, you know? And so, I mean, honestly, so it was kind of drastic working with her just to kind of let all these negative feelings go, try to lean into the positive part of the universe that actually, for me, I felt like it was a river running that I just had to get my hand into and it took me to a better place. Then secondly, I really believe that there were certain people kind of watching over me and another person with a different background than Georgia Jean just happened to come up to me and tell me that Mitzi was watching over me through this whole thing. And I really had kind of felt that. So I know that sounds like a bunch of crazy, wacky stuff. The other thing was, I really just, um, my daughters were a real comfort to me to help me and coach me through even my sets because I really couldn't turn to other comedians because other people's voices were getting into my head and I had to keep true to my own work. And there was so much on the line that my dearest friends were really giving me a lot of their information, but it wasn't helpful because it was, it was what they wanted to do if they were in my moment and I had to do what I needed to do. And they were all worried for me. Would I pick the right jokes? Would I be, stay on the right path? And so my daughters knew me better. So they were really the, my springboards for working on the, those difficult two minute sets. And, um, and, and two minutes is so hard. It's so much easier to an hour in some ways, isn't so much it? Easier. Yeah. It was, and when you practice, you have to go out night after night, club after club and do two minutes. And you have to walk up and do two minutes in front of people that are just letting themselves have the greatest time ever. And then you're going to go up with your two minutes and you're going to bomb every single time. And so you get so sure that the set's going to bomb. It, it's just an odd thing because, um, you know, it just getting it, the nerves and the tension and all that other stuff. And even though I worked with Georgia Jean and that was so helpful and I, I felt like Mitzi was watching over me, there was also a certain amount of, you know, just trust that you've done this for 20 years and, and you have to believe in yourself. And, and that I really did actually, I grew a lot during that period because it, once it's like having a baby. Once you're going to have a baby and you go to a certain point, you, there's no way out of getting that kid out of you. That's what happens when you're on like a national competition like this. You're already there. You can't stop. You got to keep going. Wow. Well, you are amazing. And it was just, I was so, just so thrilled to see the circle of love between you and the judges you know, and, and the audience and how everybody was just rooting for you. And it was such a perfect moment. All those moments, every time you got out there, you just laid it all out there, right? 
It was great. And you know, so many people, you know, always in my comedy, as a regular comic, what I've always done, people have always come up to me and said to the instance, God, you know, for example, I always wanted to wear short sleeves, but until I saw you, such a slob up there wearing one yard of material, I could never wear a short sleeve. Now I think I will. So, I mean, I never meant to be like um, inspirational to people. I just think people saw somebody so who was such kind of a mess up there on stage, having fun and not caring um, that she probably shouldn't be there if she had any sense at all. I think that's <laughs> always been my message, but it was never intentional. It's just that I wanted to be there and I thought that my dresses were cute. And so, <laughs> you know, and, and so what happened was with that stage and like 15 million people watching, that platform became um, like that for a lot of people. And I got so many letters and I continue to and I, about how people are trying things that they didn't think they could do because they saw me keep going. And that's been so wonderful. That is, that is so great. And you mentioned inspiration. And I see now, um, well, not now, everything's disrupted now, but you started to do what I do, which is speaking. And right, are you doing uh, corporate engagements, things like that? Or yeah, there, did you do there, some of that? There were there were a lot of those, yeah. And so, and I am I have not gotten into the Zoom world yet much. Yeah, you know, just doing a few. I have been enjoying a few shows with friends, but I haven't done any like um, inspirational speaking on Zoom or anything like that. But we do have a podcast called "Big Girls Don't Cry" with my best. Did you ever know Cindy Burns, the comic? Sin yes, of course. So yes, she she passed, and she she was the housewives yeah, of Orange County. Ago. Yeah, four years ago, she's a, one of my dearest friends. So her daughter oh, Amber sorry. Rose co-hosts my podcast with me. So it's called Big Girls Don't Cry. It's for the fat, but you're welcome to join in. But we're having a ball with that, and and I'm I'm starting another podcast with Sean through uh, all things comedy, but um. It's, it's fun to stay busy and, and stay engaged through this time. You know, oh, that is, that. that is so important. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting one clear message from you, which is, and, and especially comics feel this way where we're on stage by ourselves and you're really talking about either through, um, what you were talking about, the circle of energy, uh, right. Georgina, uh, what's your, uh, Georgia Jean. Right, right. And so you got mentorship from her and all along the way, and that you, you took classes, you took my class, you took, right. um, um, uh, uh, Mitzi's daughter's class and, and you continue to ask for help and support. So it looks like there's a comic just up there, her uh, by yourself, uh, being her authentic self, but to get to that, it takes a village, right? You know, it doesn't. When I first started stand up, I'd been selling carpet, at, <laughs> selling carpet at my parents' carpet store for twenty years. That's what I did from when I was nineteen till I was forty, and I never met one kindred spirit in the carpet store. And when I started stand up, my cousin Linda. She was, grew up in being a phone girl. She woke, she was a communications person who started at 16 stacking phone books, ended up in, in charge of communication for big giant companies. 
And she told me it wasn't the work I would love as much as my peers. And I'm like, I didn't get that. But the, the, the peers that I've met, the friends that I made in comedy in the last 20 years have been, has been as important to me as the, as the comedy itself. And, and my cousin was exactly right about that. And I, I feel like it's really important. People say comics are assholes or they're dicks or they're egomaniacs. And you can say that about a lot of comics, but you can say that about anybody. And so I found there's many kindred spirits that I've met in the comedy world that are just very kindred to me. And I'm so grateful. And I feel like it's such a hard job to do, not in the sense that it's such a hard job to keep a happy face about. You've got to surround yourself with positive people who are experiencing it and cheering each other on. You know, because if I didn't have a circle of friends in the business like that, which are, like I say, all the LA original friends I met was that I met through Big Bear with you. So those people are still my friends. And um, that's been everything to me. You're absolutely right. And I tell everybody there that wants to do this or start anything, you've got to find a group to begin with. And it's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm doing some these online classes and people are muddling through them. But one thing that's very clear is that the support they give to each other. And for myself, I find that when I write a joke for another person, or I can see something in another person, and I commit to helping them, it all comes back to me, it makes me a better writer right? Absolutely. It makes me, it makes me better at what I do. Every time I give to another purpose, you know, a, a purpose person, but it, I, I'm taught thinking about purpose, because I do believe that we think the purpose of our career is, is making people laugh, right? And being a star and making money, and we get all those things in our head. But one thing that you said that I'm sure you never intended when you went on stage is, you know, I'm going to give women like myself the permission to wear short sleeves. Like you didn't think that, did you? You didn't think that I'm coming out there to inspire people. I'm right. just, you know, you're just doing what you're here to do, right? Yep. I mean, don't you believe that your purpose in life and what you ended up doing even though you sold carpets for 20 years, was making people laugh? I mean, did you have that moment in your childhood where you knew that's who you were? That was what your talent is? I always knew that getting, be, making people laugh would get me invited on boats. It would get me invited on family vacations with friends. It would get me all the things that being a fat, goofy kid couldn't have gotten if she wasn't super funny. And it was also always a, a defense mechanism for me because I was 220 pounds when I was 12. So oh my God, fat. really? When you were 12? Kid. Yeah, so I was a really fat little kid and, and, it was, um, and I was always making the first fat joke and nobody could be fat funnier than me. So, but I never even went to one, I only went to one stand-up comedy show before I was 40. I didn't, all I did was, I listened to comedy albums. I listened to, you know, Monty Python, but I never knew what stand-up comedy, uh, the world of that was ever. 
And so I never would have imagined myself being a comedian. I just knew that in the carpet business, I would make people laugh, they would buy carpet. And if they didn't laugh at the joke, I would care more than if they didn't buy the carpet. So, you know, I was all, humor's for me always been just, it's my, in my family, it's very competitive. If you could make your, my uncles laugh, they would call another uncle, said I said something funny. That was all, that's what I did. What I love about what you're saying is that you don't necessarily have to hone your comedy skills uh, getting stage time. You could do it with your friends on the phone and selling carpet, right? I mean, that's it's- true. You, you know, to, to get to make, to literally go, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to quit my job and at wherever, and I'm just going to go be a comedian. People do that. Essentially, I did that after like five years. I sold my my parents' carpet store. I said, you guys take this money. I moved into a trailer with my daughters and we were instantly poor. People gave us food. And um, it was really, looking back, it was a stupid and a very dangerous thing to do as a mom. I'm so lucky that like literally things just kept get provided and both my daughters turned out amazing. But it, we were, I mean, but if you objectively look at what I did, it was insane. So, but you, but there's no reason not to do it if you really want to, but if you, if you're a creative person, there's all to live it of that creative life, especially if it's like comedy. Yeah. You, if you go into sales with, and you're able to be funny, it, you will do better. Whatever you do where you can really specifically try to think about being funny as a manager, as a boss, my friend was a bank president. He would make, he was, a, you know, we did comedy on the side, but he became a better bank president because he studied comedy. I mean, he really did. Wow. So we, Vicki, it's so, it's so great uh, to have had the privilege of seeing your journey and it's so inspiring and you really, you really give people the permission just to be yourself no matter what and, and get good, learn your skill, put together, if you're a comic, you got to get good and you've got to put together an hour of material and, and do it in front of an audience and, and let them tell you and work it. Um, what other tips can, before we leave, can, can you give my listeners? So many of them are just like you who just want to do this. You know, they just know that they're funny and they were put on this earth. This is their purpose to make people laugh. How, I, I mean, one of the things you, you talked about was fear and finding help with that, finding a mentor, finding a program, finding something to get you past that. And you also talked about putting yourself out there and be willing to hear no, right? Is there any other, any other tip you'd like to leave people with or comment on any of those a little more? I'll, I'll tell you one, one book that really helped me that I didn't fall into till like five years ago. It's called Big Magic by Elizabeth. It's called Big Magic, Elizabeth Darn it, can't remember. She wrote the book, Eat, Pray, Love. And she talked about the importance of, of where understanding fear as an artist. And it was like, it was real clear to, she clearly helped me with fear. And then I, it, she made me realize how into fear that I'd always been. And, and the, I think that this is the most important thing, whatever you want to do, 
even if it seems like you can't do it, like if you want to do stand up and bars open up, even if they don't open up and they're doing it on a patio, we used to, I used to never get stage time, even at open mics, no one would let me on when I started. So I got a couple of friends, we got a PA, we would just go to random bars, do a show where there was no show. We'd ruin people's nights over and over again with bad comedy. They kick you out in five minutes, you gotta go to another bar, you just keep going. And the, and the other thing is you can go to Elks Lodges and, and nursing homes and you know, vote, you know, wherever you can find a place to bring a PA and a microphone if you don't have a formal place. Because when it comes to stand-up, there's nothing to do but doing stand-up. You just, just gotta do, do it. it. And do it in any form. Yeah. And you know, there are there's uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. All this now. I mean, clearly now, especially because of COVID, everything is coming to the screen. And if you could get good on the screen, then you're going to be amazing when you get a real audience. Absolutely. 100%. So I hear your messages. You know, this is your purpose in life. Don't give up. Where can people find you? Our podcast, Big Girls Don't Cry, is on every platform. You can see it live on YouTube or taped on YouTube every Wednesday, Big Girls Don't Cry. And then also my website is VickiBarbalatComedy.com. And uh, I'm starting to tour a little bit, taking a little shade for that, but I'm sneaking out now and then. <laughs> and yeah. And, yes. and, it's, and, and so on Twitter and, and uh, all those other places, Vicki Barbalat. Judy, thank you for helping so many people, especially your supportive women uh, through the years. Uh, a lot of us have a, a great debt to you. So <laughs> thanks for doing this show for people too. But oh. You've really helped immeasurable, innumerable people that I know and me personally, and I've always been grateful. And I speak nothing of thanks and gratitude about you to whoever I meet. Vicky. I wish you'd gained some weight though. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm still going to Weight Watcher meetings. You're only That's seeing me from the waist up. <laughs> Love, Love to you too. and your family, Vicki. Be safe. Thank you so much for being on the Power Purpose Podcast. For your special gift, go to themessageofyou.com. That's themessageofyou.com and get your free one-year subscription to the Message of You University, which is full of lessons to help you find your message and turn it into a book, a TED Talk, or a paid speaking career. That's themessageofyou.com.